The biggest pitfall all day, every day is being too internally focused. You drink your own Kool-Aid, you don't look for objective feedback. You don't always ask customers how they feel or how they're using your products or solutions. And that internal focus then can have spillover effects where people aren't mobilizing behind the right thing. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to Season 3 of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we have your best interests at heart. Because at Cadence, we're much more than a provider of financial services. We're a lifetime advocate driven by your success. Imagine you're throwing a party. You spend the whole week decorating. You've got every type of snack there is, even your famous guacamole. There's a perfectly curated playlist and plenty of icebreakers. The only problem... No guests. Not much of a party, is it? It doesn't matter how good your product is. If you don't have any customers, you don't have a company. It's as simple as that. Taking care of them should be your top priority. But customers are complex, and they're not just in the market for a product. The convenience, consistency, and connection they get when they interact with your company. These are all things that customers pay attention to. And if you get these pieces right, they'll pay more than just attention. So on today's episode, we're talking customer experience what it is, why it matters, and how to make yours best in class. But to go on our customer journey, we need a guide. My name is Daniel Herman. I work for a company called NCR as the Vice President of Product Strategy and Customer Insights. Daniel and NCR know a thing or two about customer experience. They've been doing it longer than most companies have been around. Customer experience is woven into the lifeblood of our company. We invented the cash register way back when. We had the first sales training program, and it was all with the intent of solving customer needs. NCR was founded in 1884 by John Patterson, and he always created that ethos around being customer first. And so with respect to where customer experience has played a role in our company, it's been from day one. And he actually had a a quote that is sitting in our lobby of our global headquarters. And the quote is, treat every customer like they were your only customer. And what he meant by that is you build relationships by how you treat customers the service you provide to them, the way in which you work together and how you engage with them. But what we're really looking for is ways in which NCR solutions can help customers solve their most pressing needs. Okay, so you said you use CX, so that's, I guess, that's that's the shorthand for customer experience? It's a little bit of lingo, yeah, yeah. CX, customer experience. So it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is looking at customer experience. And that sounds like a pretty self-explanatory term, but some of our listeners may not or may have kind of a limited view of, of what they think about customer experience. So in your view, what does customer experience encompass? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting you use the term limited just now because I like to think of customer experience really as everything and anything. I mean, the reality is, is every business engages with its customers differently. You know, when, when a company, you look at the goodwill that it's built up with its customers by the experience and how it engages with them and how they solve problems. It's really about how do you build up that goodwill and how do you use it to build a stronger relationship. Companies often resort to selling a product based on features and functionality. I think but the reality is they're more likely to have dedicated customers that keep coming back based on the experience the product delivers, how easy it is to use, how it makes people feel. Two very tangible examples that I think folks will really relate to. Harley-Davidson has leveraged the power of social ties to deepen experiences and encourage customers to share common interests, activities, offerings. And there's more than 1,400 Harley owners groups chapters around the world with over a million members. And, And it's really, they were really masterful 
A, using brand slogans like ride to live, live to ride, plus having recognizable motorcycles. So just to show that it's more than the product, they've created this community around the product to drive a common experience for all its users. The second example is Patagonia, which has been in the news a lot. They make great outdoor products, but even more, it's a mission statement that its products stand behind and the whole brand mobilized around focus on environmental impact, supply chain transparency, and making its products really reinforce that message has created an experience that has created a lot of customer loyalty as a result. How else does a company benefit by having a good customer experience? There's a lot of stats out there. And just to, to anchor on a few of them, I think McKinsey published a study not that long ago that, that improving the customer experience can increase sales by 2 to 7%. Customers will stay and make more purchases after a good customer experience. Simplicity will create opportunities for customers to recommend the brand to their partners, to their friends, to their family. And a lot of buyers, over 80% of them, are willing to pay more for a great customer experience. I think it all probably also makes customers a little more, because everybody's going to have an oops. But if you have a good customer experience, I think it gives people a little more patience with you when you have a, happen to have a bad day and have a bad customer experience. So if a company doesn't have a good customer experience, what are the major drawbacks of having a bad customer experience or just not a, I don't even know, it has to be bad, maybe it just doesn't really give you any warm, fuzzy feelings. What, what are the drawbacks of that? Yeah, I think if you don't have a customer experience that helps people engage emotionally, they're not going to stick around. And it, it doesn't take much to lose them. Going back to one stat that really has stuck in my head is one in three customers will leave a brand they love after just one bad experience and 92% will leave after two to three. So it just doesn't take long to disrupt how people feel about the companies that they buy from. And I think also it's become harder and harder to do, to do well. The data agrees. Consumers have become harder to please. The American Customer Satisfaction Index tracks people's experience with more than 400 of the largest corporations in the United States. According to the index, customer satisfaction has been declining for the past five years. In fact, in 2022, the index was at the lowest it had been in 17 years. Daniel has some theories why. I think probably there's a few things. The ease of, I would say, the internet and how that's enabled people to shift providers and do research more easily. That's probably created a shorter attention span for people to stick with a company. Commerce used to be much more local than it is now. And so now people can buy something from anywhere because it might better suit their needs. And so if they have a bad experience, they're more likely to leave. So I think that it's created this cycle of, of churn that didn't happen previously. And I think at the same time, it's very easy for people to form new companies. And so that allows you to create innovation and, and disrupt, which I think in the long term will create better experiences, but it it means that the bar is continually raised higher and higher for what people expect. And so it's probably declining because a new startup has done X, Y, Z, and your current provider doesn't do that that you like, and so you're dissatisfied with that current provider. And frankly, I think a lot of that is COVID. I think COVID happened and people had to change their businesses very quickly, and it got bumpy, and it wasn't always clean. And what people are expecting and needed their providers to do really turned on its head. And I think that will probably start to reverse itself where companies are doing better in the future as they figured out business models that allow them to meet their customer needs. But right, the first year or two, companies were really trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. 
with respect to how to meet their customer needs in a, in a new type of world, a new environment. To satisfy the high expectation of today's consumers, many companies have attempted to improve their customer experience, but a majority of those efforts fall flat. It's not that companies try to avoid having a bad customer experience, it's that they don't know how to invest in making it good. And so that piece around how do you bridge that gap from we're just doing our job to we're doing our job really, really well, I think is very, very challenging for a lot of companies to go execute. But if companies are able to do it well, it can be a huge differentiator for them relative to competition. So what makes a good CX? Daniel says it's all about the C. The really foundational first step is just listening to your customers. Focus groups are a piece of that, but it's, it's talk to them, survey them, get input. It's really about making them feel like a stakeholder in their own success to create that joint relationship. And that focus on customers starts at the top. I think a second key thing with respect to companies really building experience is they've got to have a leader that clearly articulates the intent and reinforces and communicates that intent. And the story behind that is the founder of Honda, I would say about 50 or 60 years ago, really wanted to diversify his business and meet more of his customers' needs. And so he told his team, I want to put six Hondas in a garage. And they're like, six Hondas in a garage? We're in Japan. The garages are very small. We can't fit six Hondas in a garage. But what he did was he recognized that Honda was differentiated in small engines. And so it's motorcycle, generator, car, lawnmower, pressure washer. And that really evolved Honda as a company to better meet their customer needs. And so the point there is you have to have a leader that mobilizes and galvanizes the change in order for a company to go build that. And then I think that the third big piece is you've got to really build a culture oriented around CX. You've got to make sure that employees understand it, think about it every day. I always repeat to my team and folks at my company that everybody has customers. It's not just external customers. Everybody has internal customers. And, and the idea is continue to meet their needs and think about them at all engagement touch points. And that's how you really reinforce that cultural piece. You want to make sure that employees are collaborating and they feel motivated behind the job that they're doing. And you've got to really engage all teams in achieving a common objective. And you've got to challenge people. You've got to create the right support mechanisms in place, whether it's through training, whether it's through development, whether it's through career paths and trajectory. To get employees aligned, it helps to have a simple, straightforward rallying cry. One of the, the phrases our, our senior leadership, and specifically our CEO, repeats a lot is happy customers buy more stuff. And so it's, it's a very easy, very digestible thing for employees to really mobilize behind. And so happy employees make happy customers and happy customers buy more stuff. And so you've got to really draw that linkage for how employees can transform that external experience. Another famous one with respect to setting an ambition was when JFK early in his presidency said, by the end of this decade, we're going to put a man on the moon. People can understand that. They mobilize behind that. If you don't have something people can mobilize behind, CX is, is in, in a tough spot. It's funny you talked about Kennedy. I was talking to my... Uh... My son about that, about how important it was at the time. A statement that was very clear. Here's a goal. People rallied behind it. And it, it, it really had a whole big effect on the balance of power of Russia and the United States and, and everything else. And just the, the, how important a couple of little words and getting people behind an idea can be. So I thought it was interesting you mentioned that. It's, I think, I'm pretty sure that's where the term moonshot comes from in terms of like big, big transformative ideas. And you see that all the time nowadays. 
Uh, there, uh, there's a restaurant they opened on the moon. It had uh, good food, but no atmosphere. <laughs> At Cadence Bank, relationships define us. That's why we make a point of getting to know you, because it helps us serve you better. Visit cadencebank.com to learn more. Cadence Bank, member FDIC. So companies start this. What are some of the common mistakes they make when trying to design a customer experience? The biggest pitfall all day, every day is being too internally focused. You drink your own Kool-Aid. You don't look for objective feedback. You don't always ask customers how they feel or how they're using your products or solutions. And that internal focus then can have spillover effects where people aren't mobilizing behind the right thing. It's important to keep your eyes on the prize, customers. And to do that, you need data. Is customer experience very uh, data-driven? I mean, it seems like that's an, an area that does lend itself to data analysis and gathering data on how things are going. You've really got to have metrics that are tangible and that people can understand to show progress. There's a well-known customer experience metric called Net Promoter Score. It was, it was created by a banding company a few decades ago. And that's one of the key metrics that we use in our business to track our progress and how we do it. And, and what Net Promoter Score is, is if you've ever filled out a survey that asks you to rate someone on zero to 10, what is your likelihood to recommend this company as a, as a partner or as a solution provider? So a nine or a 10 is a promoter and six or below is a detractor. And the percentage of respondents that are promoters minus the percentage of respondents that are detractors is your net promoter score. And so that, that's one of our big metrics that we use to mobilize our employees. It's something they can work towards, something they can look at progress against. But there's other pieces of it as well. I mean, we look at metrics such as ease of doing business, innovation. How many of our customers even respond to our surveys? What percentage of our respondent base is, is engaging? Those are some of the metrics that we use to hold up to employees to understand how are we progressing and how are we doing. But quantitative data doesn't tell the whole story. At the same time, sometimes customers don't know what they need, particularly with more innovative types of solutions. And so you, you got to strike that balance by directly addressing the customer feedback and then also trying to synthesize, all right, what are they actually getting at here when they tell me this thing? NCR has a product called the Interactive Teller Machine. It's an ITM. And ITMs are intended to use technology to do a lot of different things that you can do in the branch itself. And so part of the value of that is we realize that people feel constrained by what they can do sometimes with an ATM. And the ITM really allows them through a technology interface to go and engage with the bank whenever it's convenient to them. They're not stuck to branch hours. And for the bank, who is our customer, the value is you don't have to stay open to meet all your customer needs and you can still do the same things. And the reason I go back to this is I think if you had asked a customer to provide feedback on either the teller experience or the ATM experience, I don't think they would have ever said, I wish I had a piece of technology that replicated exactly what the teller did. You're stitching together different points of feedback that really create a narrative around how can we design an interaction that is more suited towards what our customers or the banks need that also helps them serve their customers. So it was really a, a kind of an engine of innovation, I guess, if, at that point, if you're, if you're listening carefully and then trying to pull things together. Because you're right, I mean, cl customers don't always know I walk in somewhere, I'm, there's often, I'm not sure exactly what I need. I just know I need this to be better. A grocery store I shop at, they changed the terminal on the self-checkout. 
And it still does the same thing, but it is so much easier to use for some reason. And the card slips into it in a, it straight down instead of trying to reach under. Just some things that are very simple that made it just much more pleasant to go through the self-checkout line. And I never really thought about it until they made the change. When I got the change, I thought, oh, these, these are great. Now I realized I didn't like those other ones. That's why I always avoided going through the self-checkout line. To get a full picture of what customers experience, you don't just need data. You need different types of data. It's data-driven, but it's both qualitative and quantitative. You've got to augment the surveys and some of the very tangible numeric scores you can get, or even things, for example, like understanding the market size and how much have you addressed. That's, I would call that quantitative data. And then you've got to augment that with some qualitative feedback that you get both from your internal employees as well as from your, your external customers. And just going back to the example you used with respect to self-checkout at the grocery store, when you do research to design a better experience with a self-checkout machine, some of the quantitative data might help with that, but a lot of it, you just have to go watch people use it and watch how people insert the credit card or do you, is it a tap to pay or is it, are the buttons in the right place as somebody loads, the majority of the population is, is right-handed. How are you aligning it behind them? But then how do you treat people like me that are left-handed? That accessibility piece, and that's the sort of thing that would never come through in a survey. And, and I'm, I'm telling that point specifically because You've got to augment the, the quantitative piece with observational, more qualitative commentary. But I think number two, and this is one of the things that I'm super passionate about myself, is customer experience and innovation are very, very closely linked. Because innovation is the way at which you continue to evolve the customer experience going forward. And so you have to think about it in terms of a, what can we keep doing? What can we do better? How can we keep pushing the envelope? How can we keep meeting our customer needs? And sometimes that's through new services. Sometimes that's through new products. Sometimes it's actually just through changing the backend configuration of the self-checkout machine so that you have to go through fewer screens through usability testing. And so there's a lot of different flavors you can do it, particularly with the way technology has changed our world in terms of helping improve the customer experience and making it more competitive. Another way to conduct this qualitative research is with something called a customer journey map. Customer journey maps are really, really powerful ways in which customer experience professionals and user experience professionals gather a deep understanding of customer needs and feedback at every different stage of their evaluation process, buying process, usage, maintenance, all, all that. That's what we call the journey. You know, I have a colleague who gave me a really good, powerful description of what customer journey maps do, and that's really stuck with me. So when we think of products and services, we tend to think of them as photos. But in reality, they're more like movies. So any product or service is something that unfolds over time. Using them tends to be sequential. So you have to understand things from this perspective, which can be hard. But this is why journey maps are such a useful artifact to really understand the end-to-end -end experience. Because they map everything relevant to what you need to understand in very chronological order. For example, customer steps, what the technology is doing at each of those steps, where this can be pleasant or unpleasant for folks, so on and so forth. Specifically with companies like NCR, there's lots of moving pieces that power our technology. And so understanding the spectrum helps you triangulate where are the areas you need to triage and how do you reach out to those specific teams to go fix it so that the customer experience is better at the end of the day. CX is essential, but it can be intimidating to business owners. It's so broad that it's hard to know where to start, but you don't need to tackle it all at once. 
Daniel recommends creating a strong foundation. I always look at it as having four big building blocks to drive customer experience as a really systematic competence. And it is a competence. It's, it's not just a one thing. It's, it's, you've got to look at it as a capability that you have. But number one is set the agenda. You galvanize the whole organization around CX, around communicating a compelling mission for what innovation and CX should deliver and the themes that you're going to pursue. The second building block is manage the portfolio, which involves monitoring, measuring, managing your range of CX initiatives, and then providing clear criteria for governance and how you make decision rights on what gets approved, what does not approve, where do things move forward, how are you tracking its impact. The third building block is around designing and scaling experience initiatives. How are you generating concepts? How do you move them out into production? How do you make sure the customers are experiencing them in the, in the right way? And then the last one is just committing the right number, the right amount of resources. You've got to have resources at the right points of time. You've got, got to really focus on the key initiatives and the key areas of focus. You've got to have talent in place to go drive it. You've got to have tools. You've got to make sure you have executive sponsors. And in my experience, both in my time at NCR and prior to that, I found that if you do those four building blocks well, you're doing a lot of right in the direction of, of transforming how your business drives customer experience. So if you're, if you're looking at those four building blocks, is there a functionality you should prioritize? Is there something that's more important than others? Or what would you suggest there? The most important piece is having a good process for how to collect feedback. And so it's, it's probably embedded within some of those building blocks with respect to figuring out what should be in your portfolio of experience initiatives and how you continue to collect feedback from your customers to go support that. But if it was easy, everybody would do it. And that's why having a group that is really focused on driving the right behaviors and repeating the mindset and, and communicating the strategy is really critical because that's how you keep it front of mind for, for executives and for strategic discussions. In fact, a lot of companies have chief experience officers. That's a relatively recent evolution to how customer experience has become front of mind for key leaders. At the top of this episode, Daniel said that CX is anything and everything. That's much more than we can fit into a single episode. But luckily, there are plenty of places to find out more. Where can business owners go to find out more about this? Is there, is there resources out there that are available and helpful that they should be looking at? There's a lot written out there. And just, just a couple of examples. There's a Customer Experience Professionals Association called the CXPA. They do a lot of good stuff. They've published a bunch of things. They have events in cities. That's probably one area to go to learn more. I've also found that there's customer experience vendors. They call themselves experience management companies. They publish a range of content that's out there. How to improve, how to think differently about CX, about the employee experience as well. That's another way to go. And I think, honestly, part of this is you just got to start doing it. And you've got to take a step in the right direction because as you continue to push yourself to go further you're going to grow, you're going to develop, you're going to adapt. And getting started is the hardest part. And so as you learn as you know, small, mid-sized business owners, which I know that the cadence really caters to, getting down that path, you'll learn a lot and then you'll adapt as you go through it. Usually, I'd wrap things up with some key takeaways from the conversation. But at this point, Daniel was so keyed into my experience that he took care of it for me. Empower everyone at your company to be their best self every day particularly when interacting with external customers. You want to have the right folks, the right mindset, happy employees, make happy customers, and happy customers buy more stuff. That's number one. Number two, 
I mentioned the term raising the bar that we use internally. It doesn't necessarily mean work harder. It just It's more about changing your mindset, understanding what the customer needs, adapting your behaviors to ensure that you can meet those needs. And I think the last point to really bring it full circle to where we started is don't look at CX narrowly. It's a very broad topic. It needs to be front of mind for everyone. It's not a once a year type of thing. It's an all the time mentality. Thank you to Daniel Herman for his listener-centric approach this episode. If you enjoyed the show, we'd appreciate it if you'd write a review in your podcast app. Or if you're short on time, you can just rate us five stars. It only takes a second. And while you're there, subscribe. We'd love to have you. Because when you're with us, we're in good companies. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Daniel Cornell. With writing and production from Andrew Ganim and sound design and mixing by Ben Cranlett, Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. To the extent that this podcast includes predictions about the economy, these predictions are subject to a number of variables and you should confer with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors for their input regarding the possible outcomes of any economic subject matter discussed herein.